In the world we live in today, there are so many pressures. Pressures to be somebody different, to live a certain way, to turn out a certain way, and we, we act out those ways to live because we want to be okay. We want people to say we're normal, though no one will ever say Dave Thompson is normal. These pressures, these pressures determine how we live or make decisions. And it determines who we listen to. And deep down inside, we are all vulnerable. We want to be accepted. And we want to be loved. And sometimes these pressures can be huge. Sometimes we may have family members or people close to us who we don't love, or we don't want to love. And we have our own sense of justice. We want to make them feel our hurt and our pain. Sometimes we face the pressures of status of money, culture, and comparing ourselves to others. Those of us who have children know what it's like to stand at the school gate or go to someone's house and them telling you how brilliant their children are. And we kind of think, oh, I wish my child would, would do that. We put importance on these things because of family pressure. Maybe sometimes... We do things because we want to be noticed, because we feel our voices aren't being heard. And so we go for a promotion because we feel that people will benefit from our opinion. We feel we have more if people listen to our voice. What is it in your life that makes you feel like you belong? What is it in your life that makes you feel as if you are important? Where do you hang your identity? Maybe it's to be important in society. Maybe it's graduating from Union College. Maybe you feel like you belong when you go on Facebook and you put loads of pictures on and you get lots of likes and comments. And that makes you feel good because people are noticing you. All this comparing and striving can often leave us feeling tired. It makes us feel empty. It can also make us feel incredibly lonely. And the further we go, the, the more we do it, the more actually we feel like we don't belong. Does this sound familiar to you? Do you ever ask yourself, what am I doing with my life? I do. In the passage we just read about Philippians, Paul writing the Philippians, it's fascinating because I think it holds the keys about how do we live our lives and asks us the fundamental question, where do you, where do I find my hope? What do I put my hope in? It helps us ask the question, what does it really mean to have life? Paul is trying to answer these questions in the letter to the Philippians. He loved the Philippians because they sent him gifts and prayers while he was in prison. So he writes this letter as if it's a very personal letter, a very intimate letter, a letter to your family. When you write to your family and those people you love, you become a little bit more vulnerable. You share your innermost thoughts. This is exactly what Paul did. He writes with concern because he wants his family to put their faith in the right things. He wants to watch out. He wants them to watch out for those evil people who may trick them 
and put their faith in false hopes. He gets really animated in this. He says, watch out for those evil dogs, those evil doers. Strong words. In this case, he's worried about those Jewish Christians who would influence those new Christians put their faith in other things rather than Jesus. These Judaizers wanted their new converts to get circumcised, which was a symbol of the old covenant. They wanted them to obey the Sabbath, keep things kosher, keep the whole Mosaic law, and keep all 613 commandments. All this to be acceptable in God's eyes. This is not what Jesus came to do. He came to set us free from that, to give us free grace and free mercy. Paul is almost screaming to them, saying, no, don't do that. Our hope is in having Jesus Christ. If you follow these Judaizing Christians, you take away what Jesus Christ did on the cross for you on earth to give you free grace, free mercy. Don't put your faith in the things you can do and pretend that that will make you a Christian. The only thing will do that is Jesus. How does Paul know this? What authority does he have? Well, the Philippians knew what authority he had because he spent loads of time with them. But just in case they've forgotten, he spells it out for them. Again, he starts to be a bit more personal. He writes in the first person. He uses the word word I. Paul starts to share his thoughts with him. He sets out his achievements. He says, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting persecuting the church. As for righteousness based on the law, faultless. He reminds them where he was coming from, the journey he was on. Some of them who have heard that must have thought, this is a brilliant man, look at his CV, listen to all the things that he said. Some of them must have said, what a brilliant mind. Oh, thank goodness we have that brilliant mind on our side. But then he hits them with a bombshell. He says, I count all those things as loss in comparison to the faith I have in Jesus Christ. He even says that all those things I have achieved are rubbish in comparison to the faith I have in Jesus Christ. How many of us can say that? How many of us, when we look at our lives, can say that all the things that I have, I count as nothing in comparison to the faith I have in Jesus Christ? I want you to really stop for a moment. Just pause, through your, just pause and take a journey through your life. Think about all those things you have, all the successes you have. All those things you've worked really hard in. Where is your security? Would you call it rubbish in comparison to the faith you have in Jesus Christ? Before I go on, and maybe get lynched lynched later on, 
I want to say that Paul is not saying that achieving milestones is rubbish. What Paul is saying is if you put your faith and trust in those things above Jesus Christ as your Savior, then there's problems. Think about those degrees you have, the job you do, the positions you have, the views you hold, the class status you have, the abilities you have, those comforts. Where do you put your hope and trust in? Paul asked this question because he wants to tell his family and us today that those things are worth nothing. The only thing of worth is putting our hope in Jesus Christ. In chapter 3, verse 8, he writes, What is more, I consider everything a loss because it's the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. Paul knows the beauty of Christ. He knows how much he is loved, how much Christ loves him. He understands that what we have in this world is nothing compared to what we have in Jesus Christ. This message is not only about the things that we hold as a security, but also asks us, if we believe that, how do we live our lives? How do we act? Do we show people that our hope and our security is in Jesus Christ? Would they know it by the things that we do and say? Do we give out a different message? I came across this story not too long ago um, from my own country, South Africa. Um, and it really challenged, challenged my thinking about, do I put my hope in Jesus Christ through my actions? The story illustrates what I mean. You may have heard this, this story on the radio a couple, of, a couple of months ago. It's about a black woman who forgave a man who tortured and killed her husband and son. The story um, is harrowing. So imagine the scene from a recent court case and trial in South Africa. A frail black woman stands to her feet. She's about 70 years old. Facing her from across the room are several white police officers, one of whom, Mr. Van der Broek, has just been tried and found implicated in the murders of both the woman's son and her husband some years before. It was indeed Mr. Van der Broek, who has now, been, has now been established, who had come to the woman's home a number of years back, taken her son, shot him at point-blank range, and then burned the young man's body on a fire while he and his other officers parted nearby. Several years later, Mr. Van der Broek and his security police colleagues had returned to take away her husband as well. For many months, she heard nothing of his whereabouts. Then, almost two years after her husband's disappearance, Mr. Van der Broek came back to fetch the woman herself. How vividly she remembers that evening going to the place beside the river where she was shown her husband, bound and beaten, but still strong in spirit 
lying on a pile of wood. The last words she heard from his lips as the officers poured gasoline over his body and set him aflame were, Father, forgive them. Another woman stands in the courtroom and listens to the confessions offered by Mr. Van der Broek, a member of the South African Truth and Reconciliation Commission, turns to her and asks, So, what do you want? How should justice be done to this man who so brutally destroyed your family? I want three things, begins the old woman, calmly but confidently. I want first to be taken to the place where my husband's body was burned so that I can gather up the dust and give his remains a decent burial. She pauses, then continues. My husband and son were my only family. I want, secondly, therefore, for Mr. Van der Broek to, come, to become my son. I would like him to come twice a month to my ghetto and spend a day with me so that I may pour out on him whatever love I still have remaining within me. And finally, she says, I want a third thing. I would like Mr. Van der Broek to know that I offer him my forgiveness because Jesus Christ died to forgive This was also the wish of my husband. And so, I would kindly ask someone to come to my side and lead me across the courtroom so that I can take Mr. Van der Broek in my arms, embrace him, and let him know that he is truly forgiven. As the court assistants came to lead the elderly woman across the room, Mr. Van der Broek, overwhelmed by what he had just heard, faints. And as he does, those in the courtroom, friends, families, and neighbors, all victims of decades of oppression and injustice, begin to sing softly and assuredly, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. This is what it's about. This is what the kind of action that Paul is pointing to. When you ask, where is, your, where is your hope? Where is your security? Are we willing to be like the black woman in the story, to give up all we hold dear? What you think should be yours. Are we willing to give up what you think should be ours, what our rights are? Are we willing to surrender all we have to Jesus Christ? To surrender ourselves in this way means to say that our hope is in Jesus Christ. I can imagine Paul thinking through all of these things and all of these issues. Maybe he's asking himself, what have I done in the past? Why did I waste my life on all those rules and regulations and not put my hope in Christ sooner? In the story of Paul's conversion that I tried to tell the kids about earlier, after his conversion, he spends three days in silence, out of love to have been in his thoughts or close to his thoughts and a fly on the wall in those three days. What did he say 
to himself, reflecting on his life. I think we can safely say he must have thought of what happened, what he did in the past. All those things he put his energies into and asked, was it all worth it? All those things I believed to be right in the past. He must have thought about all those laws he kept so strictly. Did that all help him get closer to Jesus? I think he also discovered something that we all know. Is that we are all broken people who need a savior. That moment Paul discovered that he needed Jesus. At that moment he probably discovered that, he, that Jesus would be with him no matter and accepts him no matter where he is, what moment he would find in his life. And that message rings true to us today that no matter where we are, what we think about ourselves, no matter what moment we find our lives in, Jesus accepts us and he wants to accept us. Paul discovered that Jesus takes us and he makes us new. The only way to find security, righteousness, joy is not through laws. It's not through acts of circumcision. It's through knowing Jesus and putting our faith in Jesus. At the end of the story, Paul gives almost, he gives his testimony. It's almost as if he falls silent and he starts to dream a little bit. It's as if he's saying, look, All I want is to know Jesus, nothing else. Nothing else is more important. I want to take part in his resurrection, which means life. I want to be part of his suffering, which means living for something more. And somehow, I'm not sure how, again, I want to be part of his resurrection. Paul is asking us through the ages, where do you put your hope and your trust? You tired, tired of chasing your tail? Do you just need to find rest? Paul is saying clearly the only way we can find rest is to have our focus on Jesus Christ. How do we discover that? In some ways, it's fairly simple, and that's through prayer. When we start to pray for our families, when we start to pray for God's grace and mercy for the people we don't like or don't get on with, things start to change within us. We become closer to God. Our hearts start to get bigger. It starts to change. Barbara Johnson, an author who died, well, must be a couple of years ago now, has this lovely saying, said, uh, Prayer is asking for rain, and faith is carrying an umbrella. And when we start putting that into practice, when we start praying and having faith in God, we start to become more Christ-like, and our faith starts to be on Jesus Christ. We pray for God's grace and mercy in our own lives. I would encourage you to pray to do that. Ask for God's grace and mercy. Steve Steve often often uses the words, we stumble and tumble and come to the communion table, which is true. But when we do that, we know that we come to the table that God will forgive us of our sins. He accepts us as we are. And when we pray, that starts to become a reality in our lives.
Do this so that you may not be bound by the law. Do this so that you may know Christ. Let's pray. Father, often we ask ourselves, where do we go from here? What do we do? Sometimes we feel that it's difficult, hard to be able to come to you because we feel that we are not worthy. Father, help us in this moment. May your spirit on this Pentecost Sunday come down and help us realize, understand whatever it is that we are worthy because of you. Help us to put our hope and trust in you so that we may see ourselves through your eyes. We thank you for the many gifts, abilities and talents, blessings you've given us. May we celebrate that as gifts from you. In your name we pray. Amen.